hungry people are like puppets on strings, always controlled by their cravings, something they cannot get from others. James said it this way, you desire and you cannot have, so you murder. The mad puppet can't get what he wants, so he reacts with manipulative anger. The cure for angry puppets comes when they see how these desires control them rather than God, and attempting to manipulate others to give them their cravings, the desires of their hearts. That's not only futile, but it's also relationally suffocating. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. The title of this podcast is To Be Angry is to be a puppet on a string. Now, there is a full transcripted 2,000-plus word article on our website. And so you can read this podcast if you want. Of course, you can listen to it. And now we are recording, videoing all of our articles. And so you can find a video of this article as well. And so you could read, watch, or listen. Choose whichever one you wish. As always, if you have any questions for me and our team, please come to our ministry's website, and we would love to answer those questions for you. All right, let me get into this. To be angry is to be a puppet on a string. Now, the way that I want to develop this podcast is I want to share a a fictional story with you, as I want to bring my my friends Biff and Mabel into this podcast and talk about a recent dust-up in their marriage. Now, Biff and Mabel are fictional characters. This is a fictional scenario. But if there's anything here that applies to you, please just consider that as a mercy from the Lord and make those practical applications so that you can change and then also impact your most important relationships. All right, so here's Biff and Mabel, the fictional scenario. Biff's wife was late again. Her her lapse was the second time she was late coming home from work this week. She gets off at 5 p.m. and is usually home within an hour. On two occasions, it was after 7.30 before she arrived. As she walked through the door, Biff was standing in the foyer demanding answers for her tardiness. Rather than asking questions to learn her perspective, he was spewing accusations so she would know his perspective. By the way, a conflict resolution tip that whenever there is a dust-up or a dust-up that's brewing in a relationship, it is far better to ask questions rather than making statements. A question asker, not a statement maker, because we should have enough self-suspicion about ourselves to know that we do not know everything that could possibly be going on in the thing that is disappointing us in the moment. We are not omniscient creatures. But Biff was not doing that. He was making statements, sharing his perspective. And of course, you can imagine what that did to Mabel. She went on the defensive The Christian lyrics in her earbuds turned to noise as her mind began to shut down. She did not anticipate his anger. Now, while there are many things wrong with this scenario that I just laid out for you, what I want to do in this podcast is I want to focus specifically 
almost exclusively on Biff's anger and how it had complete control over him. Now, every conflict is an opportunity for both people to change, and undoubtedly, Mabel could do better, which is always the case. We all can do better when there is conflict. Paul said it this way in Romans 12, 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That is my 50% verse. Paul says each person is responsible for doing what depends on them. Mabel needs to do her part. Biff needs to do his part. That's called marriage. Imagine a football field where both spouses meet at the 50-yard line. They're doing as much as depends upon them. That's what mature and humble families do. When both spouses are willing to meet in the middle, sharing, confessing, encouraging, owning, and maturing together, good things will happen. When one chooses not to do that, bad things will happen. But in this podcast, the primary focus is on Biff. What can he do better? Now, perhaps there's someone listening to the podcast and thinking that it is the female in the relationship that is like Biff. That's fine. Biff and Mabel are fictional characters. This is a fictional story, but the application is is very much bibliocentric. And so whether it's male or female, make those applications and may God give us all the maturity and the humility to see what we can see and see what depends on us to change whatever is in our hearts. But in my fictional case study, I'm focusing on Biff and his anger toward Mabel. Anger toward someone is submitting your thoughts and your emotions and your attitudes and behaviors to that person. Whenever an individual chooses sinful anger, he is, in effect, giving the other person control over him. In the moment of his anger, he is like a, a marinette. He is like a, a puppet on a string. It's not self-control, as you see in Galatians 5, but it is out of control. The angry person is under the control of someone else, which is what happened to Biff. He was a controlled, a managed man. Mabel owned him. Though she did not know it, she did not want it, she did not plan on it. You could say that Mabel unwittingly owned him, but because of his sinful anger, he was managed. He was a puppet on the string, which is how I got the title of the article that I'm sharing with you. James talked about it this way in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He's asking a source question, a causal question, when he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now, that is a key question. If we're going to help Biff in this podcast, we have to look beyond the the behavior or the scenario of Mabel being late, because that is not the real issue. That's a secondary matter that points, that is a symptom that points to a deeper problem. And so when James asks what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. Fortunately, he answers that question. Listen to what he says. Is it not this, 
that your passions are at war within you. You see where he places the cause of anger? Not in Mabel being late, not in Mabel getting home at uh, 7.30 when she got off at 5 o'clock. No, he says that the reason you get angry is because you have passions that are at war inside of you. Then he goes on to say, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. And so notice the synonyms that James is pulling in here to explain where anger comes from. First, he says, it's passions that are at war within you. Then he says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. And then the last sentence of James 4, 1 and 2 says, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Under the surface, inside Biff's heart, is a craving for things that he would like to manage, things that he would like to control, but he can't. His passions are controlling him. In the battle scene with his wife, the underlying motives of Biff's behavior are the true culprits as James laid out. He called those motives passions, desires, and coveting, all synonyms that point to a not-so-hidden idolatry simmering in his heart. And so if we want to help Biff, we have to do more than focus on what is going on communicatively, what is going on between Biff and Mabel. You've got to see what James is telling us, and you got to tease out these idolatries in order to help him to fully repent. Now, Mabel did not realize how she was Biff's functional god, the puppeteer. You could, to use another metaphor, you could say that she's like a, like a soda machine that has what Biff craves. And I don't mean this in a disparaging way. I, I really don't. If Mabel gives him what he wants, he will be happy. If she does not satisfy the cravings of his heart, he will use anger to manipulate his functional God, his soda machine that he will shake until he gets what he wants. She's just a supplier, and he is an addict. I mean, Biff could be married to Marge or Maggie or Mildred or Madge. It would be the same problem. I mean, this sad truth is where Mabel will need to guard her heart because she could say, I didn't sign up for this. By the way, that would be true. Like all newly married people, Mabel signed up for what you and I signed up for. We signed up for love that should conquer all of our problems. But unfortunately, she married an addict whose primary interest is what he wants, when he wants it, how he wants it. And if he does not get it, he will use anger to rattle his gun or to rattle his soda machine until she gives what he demands. Biff is so blind that he does not realize that manipulating other people through anger is ineffective ultimately. But through many adverse shaping influences that predate their relationship, that's why I said earlier he could be married to Marge or Maggie or Mildred or Madge, 
and, and again, I don't mean to be dis- disparaging toward Mabel at all, but he brought all of this into his marriage before M- Mabel ever showed up on his radar. He had many adverse shaping influences that predated the marriage re- relationship. Biff is a habituated man entrapped by these wicked desires that reduce his wife to an idle dispenser. The latest flare-up is just an illustration of this old pattern in his life. This is where it's helpful, and I know this is hard if it's your marriage, but he is rejecting God having authority over him. He's not ultimately rejecting Mabel. He is rejecting God because Biff wants to be God. Of course, Mabel was not thinking about the complexity of Biff's heart or the adverse shaping influences that got him to where he is today. She was too busy shutting down and going on the defensive and trying to figure out how to defuse her angry husband. Now, fortunately, Mabel is not a devious person who gets her jollies from playing her husband on a string, though she does need to be aware of his inner insecurities that create and perpetuate his complexity. It would be worse if she enjoyed toying with him and 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 triggered him on purpose, but that's not who she is. She just happens to be the person who married a habituated, addicted man, addicted to certain hidden idolatries. And so therefore, we need to tease out what are these passions? What are these covetings? What are these desires in the heart, this war within that James talked about? Now, one of the ways that Mabel can help Biff is try to tease these things out when there are no conflict times. During the civil moments is are those moments when hopefully she can have some positive communication with him. Biff is acting like a fool when he's acting like what I have described here, and that is not the moment to engage someone. You don't engage a fool. So perhaps when there are no conflict times, she could help Biff identify what has control of his heart and begin to walk him through a process of repentance. He needs to understand the problem is not Mabel primarily. It's not about Mabel being late. The heart of the matter is that Biff wants something, so he chooses anger as a way to get it. Now, I want to share with you a few possibilities. This is just me speculating here. But I want to talk about some idols that we can erect in our hearts that can have a controlling power over us. And so here are a few possibilities of what might be happening in Biff's heart that tempt him to get angry at his wife. For example, he could be worshiping the idol of respect, where he craves respect. Some men some men are like that. I mean, yeah, wives should respect their husbands, but sometimes some husbands can take respect and, and amp it up to such, such a degree that if I don't get it now, it's controlling me. And so it could be that he craves respect, and Mabel was not respecting him, according to Biff, by not letting him know that she was running late. That's a possible example. Maybe he worships the idol of control. 
Maybe that is the war in his heart. He craves control. Thus, he wants to know where what Mabel is doing at all times. Some people can be what we call control freaks, that they have to know what's going on. And when I don't know, there was a two and a half hour period then that Biff did not know what Mabel was doing, and because he worships the idol of control, having to manage all things, that that, that is why he got angry. It was the control desire within him. Maybe it's the idol of power that he worships. You see, his craving for control could be tied into desires for power and authority. Some people get off on power and authority, and when they don't have that power or authority over an individual or a group of people, uh, they can use anger as a way of manipulating those people back under their thumb. And so he could be worshiping the idol of respect or the idol of control or the idol of power. Here's one more, the idol of comfort. This is another angle that goes in another direction. Perhaps Biff is just a discontented man, that he is unhappy with life. And so he's not getting what he wants at this moment, and he's had a bad day. And so he chooses to blow up at Mabel because he's not happy with his life to, due to his discontentment. And, and this desire for comfort has been blown up to the point that it manages him. And so those are a few possibilities, respect and control and power and comfort. And you would want to think about this. I have a, a one-hour webinar on our website talking about how to identify the ruling motives of the heart. I would encourage you to watch that one-hour webinar, and it will tease out more of these idols that could possibly have set up management over Bill's heart to where it's controlling him. And so when Mabel in this scenario is late, those things go off, and then he uses anger to try to take control of his world again. The crux of the matter is that Biff has an, an elevated expectation, elevated desires, and a plummeting disappointment each time Mabel does not meet those elevated expectations. You could say that Biff is, Biff is a weak man. And so the real question could go like this. Biff, do you really need for her to be home on time? I mean, seriously, do you really need? The operative word here is need. Do you really need for Mabel to be home on time? How many arguments have we've gotten ourselves into with someone only to reflect and realize how silly it was? I do think in those civil times or those non-conflict times, if there's just a modicum of humility in Biff and there's no tension in the home, perhaps Mabel could tease that out. And uh, you probably have had this situation. I know I have. When we, uh, Lucia and I, are in our non-conflict times, we can look back on our conflict and see how silly it really was. And if you can have this kind of conversation with Biff to see how silly this really is, and then maybe from there you can move into why did you take a this desire of the heart that James talked about, and why did you blow it up and amp it up to a need to where it had this kind of control over you? The angry person has way too many needs. They really do. They need something so desperately bad, and we can have so many needs, and that's what, that's what happens when our desires morph into needs. And that's what happened with Biff. I mean, you can desire for Mabel to be home at 5.30 instead of 7.30. 
It doesn't have to be anything wrong with that desire. But when it doesn't happen, if it's only a desire, well, then you can let it go. You can overlook it and you can have a discussion. You can be a question asker rather than a statement maker. But if a desire morphs into a need, well, then it's a whole nother ballgame. Let me give you some some uh, examples between real need and real desires. Uh, so here's two two examples. Here's a real need. A person dying of thirst will do almost anything to get a splattering of water to quench their thirst. The need for water controls him because it is a legitimate need. He feels insecure, fearful, afraid, and rightly so because he will eventually die without water. Biff does not need not need respect. He doesn't need total control of his wife. He doesn't need comfort the way he demands comfort. He will have to decide if if he will love God and his wife more than these potential speculative cravings that I mentioned earlier, respect and control and power and comfort. But if you turn those in needs, like a, a man dying in the desert because of a lack of water, then you have elevated your needs to something that the Bible would not support. Here's a desire. When a child does not get his way, he may choose to pout as a tactic to get what he wants. That's a desire. He feels he needs something. This craving to get turns to pouting. By the way, pouting is disguised anger. And so this craving to get something, to get that toy, it turns into pouting or disguised anger. It's a tactic to acquire what he has elevated to a need. A child would do that all the time because he doesn't have the maturity or the wisdom or the humility to overlook it. And so a desire that anybody could overlook, I'm not getting that toy. Okay, I move on. But he doesn't. I need it. And so then he starts pouting as a manipulative way, disguised anger to manipulate his parents. And so in the case of the child, anger is a manipulative tactic to get his way. Now, here's the irony. Though he tries to control his mother, he is really under the control of his mother. She is the supplier of the craving child. She is his functional God. She is the soda machine. And if you don't give me that toy, then I am going to be mad at you. And so she is the one who is the uh, controlling the strings of the craving child. And if she withholds what he demands, well, he's under her power. And so the mother is like Mabel. She does not see herself as the child's functional God But if she does perceive this deeper complexity that I'm talking about here, she could begin shepherding his idolatrous heart so he does not grow up into Biff. When Biff went off on Mabel, he gave up his power to her. In the moment of his anger, she had all power to give in to his demands or ignore them. I mean, that's really an untenable problem. I can give in to his demands. He's manipulating me, and so I'm going to give him what he wants, and I'm going to stroke his idols for him, or I'm going to ignore them. Do you see the conundrum there? 
her impulsive reaction, of course, would probably be like yours or mine, which would be to give him what he wants. We're all like this in a moment of heated exchange. By the time the child becomes this big and overbearing, like like Biff, the wife has lost nearly all ability to help him. If Biff does not repent of his sinful anger, he will keep her in that impossible place. Here's the untenable conundrum. One, if she gives in, she will feed his craving, and he will continue in his well-trodden, habitualized sinfulness. If she rebuffs him, she will fuel his anger, which will put more strain on their marriage. He should never, no person should ever put another individual in this kind of untenable conundrum where the only two answers are on the offended person, the victim of the anger, meaning I either give in, which feeds your craving, or I rebuff you, which means I receive your anger. We should never put a person in that kind of conundrum. Of course, you have the added problem that it hardly matters what you do for the addict. He will never find satisfaction through under-the-sun methods. Ecclesiastes 1.8 says the eye is never full of seeing and the ear is never full of hearing. Biff will never be satisfied. And so if you give the addict his drug, he'll just demand more. If you cut off his supply, he will blow his stack. Mabel is between a rock and a hard place. And it's not her fault. The only correct answer to this marital mess is for Biff to repent. He needs to humble himself, own his anger, identify his heart idolatries, and surround himself with courageous, compassionate, and competent helpers. You see, sin is irrational and disorienting to the person who is sinning. If Biff's sin continues to blind him, he may always believe Mabel is doing something on purpose to tick him off. He may never see how his anger is inside of him, as James said, not Mabel or other things in his world. Biff's relationships with God and his wife are fractured. Under the spell of controlling cravings perpetuate fractured relationships. At this moment, the only thing that satisfies him is for Mabel to meet all his expectations, give the addict what he wants, or refuse, but either way, it's a recipe for a joyless home. As he has placed Mabel in a position to be his God, little G-O-D. God does not bless this kind of willful sinfulness. Biff must begin the process of repentance to find God's illuminating and eye-cleansing favor. Biff must turn his heart from his idolatry to hope in the God of all comfort. If he does this, he will be free from the bondage of fear, insecurity, unreasonable demands, and idolatry. Only Christ can satisfy his deepest longings. Because he has placed his hope in a fellow sinner— Mabel. He shoots himself in the foot repeatedly. It's a setup for unrelenting frustration and fracturing in the relationship. Biff must wholeheartedly turn to God, who can do far more abundantly than he could ever ask or think, according to the power that is working in him, assuming that Biff is a believer. He will have to decide if he wants to do the hard work of repenting, which is the only way to be free from the cravings that control him. As for Mabel, well, there's some advice that I, I trust will enable her to persevere in this 
fictional broken marriage, here are four things. One, pray to God. Pray to the God of all comfort. Live in his grace-empowered provision. Easier said than done, but it's true. Pray to God of all comfort that you may live in his grace-empowered provision. Number two, practically pursue God with all of your heart. He can become your spiritual influence and your strength despite uh, your husband, in this case, Biff. Number three, guard your heart, especially about your desires for a better life or marriage. As I said earlier, I didn't sign up for this. No, you didn't. But perhaps, I think in some marriages, well, maybe all marriages, God brings imperfect people to us, which is our opportunity to cooperate with God to help restore these broken people that we married. And then number four, Find a community of friends to care for, uh, to care for you. Talk to your church leaders, enlist their help for you, and and find help for Biff as well. Now, those are there's a lot of complexity to, to to what I just suggested here, and so what I would encourage you to do that if you are in this situation that you come. Uh, to our ministry if you can't find help in your local church. We are not the local church, but we do want to supplement you and supplement the local church. And so if we can help you with advice, your situation will be unique. This is a fictional case study. This is not your life or your story. And so I we can give you more customized care if you want it and you want that kind of help. We would love to come alongside you and even the leadership of your local church to help you. The title of this podcast is To Be Angry is to Be a Puppet on a String, and I trust there will be a number of of angry people that will listen to this and, and realize how weak they really are and how they have given themselves over to the desires of their hearts to the point that they try to manipulate other people to satisfy those desires. If you're that person and you need help, then please uh, let us let us do that as well. You can come to our ministry and we would love to serve you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.